Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Shelton Wilder will be the first to tell you that the Los Angeles residential real estate market is no joke. Building a successful practice in the space is hyper-competitive. The glitz and glamour portrayed on Bravo don't tell the story of struggle and heartbreak that exists in this world. We're going to cover the complexities of the LA market and Shelton's marketing acumen, including the increased speed and professionalism required for modern high-end real estate. However, the real story is Shelton's persistence and ability to overcome adversity. We'll talk about her coming back from her difficult experience on Shark Tank. That experience and struggles with other businesses inform her success today. Finally, we're going to detail her ability to use persistence, family, and the power of sobriety to enhance her decision-making. Welcome aboard, Shelton. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. As a native New Yorker, I have my own thoughts about real estate and where it fits in in people's portfolios and what the New York real estate market is. I'm fascinated not only from sort of Bravo TV types of forays into what Los Angeles real estate is about, but also where it fits in just in the general scheme of things. And it's got to be a hot market right now. Describe for me what you've been seeing the last couple of years, and we'll start from there. Okay. So thank you again for having me. And the real estate market is really booming here in Los Angeles. I know across the country, but really here. And it's just, I mean, been going up in some areas, even 20% in the past couple of years. It's just been wild. There's multiple offers on properties, pretty much everything's selling unless you overprice it. There are cash offers all the time, people waiving loan and appraisal. Pretty much the only way to get an offer accepted is to waive loan and appraisal, those contingencies and the multiple offer situation so that you can compete with cash. And so, yeah, that's kind of in all of the areas, you know, some properties going we had a property last year that went 625 over asking. We were not expecting that. I've seen some this year that my clients have offered on that have gone a million over asking. So it's really very busy and people are really just trying to get into the market and get a house. So for the casual listener who's not LA based, how do you break down a large city like LA and where the hotspots are? And this is a huge question, but it's sort of, it's like, how do you break down New York? When you're thinking about LA, how do you divide it into manageable parts? Okay. That's a great question. So I actually live in Brentwood and that's where our office is at Sotheby's. And so we call that the West side. So it's Brentwood, Santa Monica, Pacific Palisades, Mar Vista, Venice, and Marina del Rey, and even West LA. So that's kind of West side that they call it Westwood. And that is the area where we work the most and it's closer to the beach. And then there's beach cities. So where you can go and it's more like Manhattan beach, Hermosa, Redondo, those areas. Then there's a Malibu. Then there's Beverly Hills, Bel Air, and then Los Feliz and all of those areas. So it's kind of divided up like east side and west side. So you've got 
sort of native Angelinos, I'm sure, who understand what's going on. They know where they're going to be. More importantly, they know where their work life is so that they don't have a two-hour commute each way. And so they know where to live in conjunction with where their life is. I'm guessing that you get some interest from people who are just sort of diving into LA sight unseen, looking for investment properties, or sometimes not even with that much thought. How do you think about that for them? And how do you educate them to make a smart choice? For living there or? Let's start with investment first, and then lifestyle on top of that. Okay, great. So investment first, It just depends on where you want to put the money with which area. I always say it's great to put the money in the areas that you would want to live in too. So you always have, have that there. And then there's can be, you know, duplex, triplex, and all these different, you know, ones that you can purchase and get in there where you have a lot of people too, that we will suggest to people like, okay, you want to get in the market, but you don't want to just get a condo. You can get a duplex and be able to get in the market that way. So you can have someone paying for half of your mortgage. So those areas, but everything is really in the million plus range. There's not really much under that at all. People are asking, they're like, oh, I want something in the like, and, uh, wrong city. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, you know, so because we're we are even looking for something. We're getting a something for our nanny. And so we're looking up to like 800 to a million. So we're having to go even farther down to like Inglewood or Hawthorne and those areas. And even it's hard to find in those areas, a duplex. <laughs> so everything just really kind of been spiraling and the price is just really going up. It's because people know it's a good investment. Things are maintaining their value here. Everybody still wants to live in LA. It's a hot area. There's so many jobs here. And so it's it's just hot. <laughs> which parts of LA correspond to which lifestyles? So, you know, the actors are up in Hollywood Hills or beyond, and they don't have to worry about nine to five. So you don't have to worry about coming down the hill and getting to the studio in a particular amount of time. Whereas the financial services world is more studio city, that type of space, my guess is, in Beverly Hills. And so for the people who are lawyers, accountants, business people versus Hollywood actors versus people with less to do, maybe, does that go into the decision? I think it really goes into the decision as well as if people want to be closer to the beach. I think that's a big decision. If you want to be more in the city and that's fine or more near the studios or there's a lot, you know, they call it Silicon Beach and it's all the tech that's right there. It's happening. And so people, I feel like there are a lot of people that move here from other areas, just like me. I moved here from North Carolina. So I always wanted to live on the West side because I wanted to be closer to the ocean with the cooler weather and everything. Because also you can live in the Valley. That's a whole another section of, of area. And that's a whole, the Valley is a gigantic area of all these different areas. You know, there's Tarzana, Studio City, Sherman Oaks, Encino, Calabas, and then farther Calabasas. So, and the, there is a big difference in weather. It can range 25 degrees in all of those places I just shared with you. So, Pasadena, even that's even hotter. So, yeah. For families, and at least here in New York, there's a lot of discussion which places do you want to go for the schools and so on? How does that dial into that thought process? That's a huge piece of it. So, but I do think that there are top schools in all of those different areas that you can find that are public schools. So even on, on the West side and, 
you know, San Marino or Pasadena, they're incredible schools. And in the Valley, there's some incredible schools that are like nine out of 10. And then there's, there's great private schools all, all around. So sometimes people will go to an area and say, it doesn't matter, we're going to go to private. But most people, they want, you know, if you want to buy in a great school district so that you have that for resale value as well. Right. It's a natural floor when you're offloading it sometime down the line. What was COVID's effect on the real estate market? And we here in New York, work from home changed the dynamic of city living completely. We had people clearing out, going to the suburbs and beyond. And we're net just now starting to warm up to getting back to normal. And we're not even sure what normal looks like. New York City could be a three-day-a-week corporate setting now for traditional bankers, et cetera. How does that translate to Los Angeles? I think it's very similar. I think that people have been able to move farther out of, you know, trying to be right in the heart of everything. Like they've been, that's why I think the Valley exploded. People wanted to move out farther and even some people up to Ojai or, you know, because they want more land, they want more space, they want bigger homes, because it was basically like your home is your vacation. You know, you want to have that pool. I mean, pools, searches for pools was spiking. It was like up 57%. It was unbelievable because they were like vacationing your home, that type of thing. And people are wanting to have more outdoor space, more land. And yeah, the home is, was never more important. And so the location wasn't quite as important because you can zoom and work like we're doing Skype right here. Right. Exactly. I'm right in the middle of New York, so I'm doing it completely wrong. It's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the thing that's so great that I feel like what COVID did is there are people that were leaving California people coming, but also people just wanting to move to different homes. Like they, They're just wanting a different space. And so that's where I think a lot of this happened. And so what we have been seeing, which has been kind of an issue, and this is really what's been driving up the prices so much, is there is an inventory crisis. I really do feel like that. I mean, I started my own networking group with the agents. I'm like Miss Congeniality and with all the other agents. And we talk all the time and get along. And we're like, what is going, you know, there's not enough product to sell. And so what I find is called a chicken and the egg. What comes first? Because they're like, okay, this is great. I can sell. I can get so much for my house. But where am I going? Yeah, you got to live somewhere. Yeah. And so if they're not moving out of state, it's been harder sometimes to push people to list their home or even try it off market. I have one coming up now and I'm going to say it's, it's off market, but subject to seller finding replacement property. So I'm trying to be creative here. Like, okay, so look, we got your offer. We got your money. But we're going to let you have your time to, you know, find the home that you want to be in because just because you're selling at the height, then you're buying and it's higher. So in New York, we have a scenario where a lot of foreign money came in and they buy into the market as a way to park cash. And it is purely investment. Oftentimes they never even set foot in the property at all. How much of that is a real thing in Los Angeles? That's definitely real. That's definitely a lot of the clients that I'm personally working with are people that are going to be living. That is their primary residence. That's a lot of times. Or there's clients that I'm working with now. They have three separate homes and they've decided they wanted to be in Los Angeles more. So they're selling the one here that was more like their vacation home here and wanting to get something with a larger footprint and more land. So you're, you're seeing that. 
you're seeing some of that, even if they have two or three homes, but they're here pretty often. They're actually going to be set foot here. There are homes in Bel Air and Beverly Hills and different areas where they've never been there. Their house manager or, or someone else. And, you know, another thing we are part, we're like the exclusive agent now for the estate managers coalition. So I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of that going on. And so that's kind of, this is a new thing for us. And we're so excited. We're launching, you know, kind of sharing our partnership this coming Wednesday night at the Beverly Hills BMW. There's a big event. And so there's definitely a lot of that going on, but I think a lot of our clients are families and people that are living here. And so we're kind of shuffling them around. So selling their home, getting them a home. There's a lot of that. Yeah. It's more on the ground than sort of pure investment perspectives. Yes. But there's a lot of that here because I mean, you get land here versus where New York or some other or Chicago, some other areas, you get this beautiful land. And I think that's really appealing. So as, as you look at the financial or the economic world out there, we're seeing rising interest rates, we're seeing inflation. The inflation is probably a big deal as far as the inventory problem that you just described. Do you feel like the urgency is there for people who are sitting on the sidelines to get in that things could start to run away? There is, there is an urgency. And then even at our networking meeting the other night, it just depends on different price points, but there are some people in that kind of under 2 million range where they're priced out now. Some of these first time home buyers, and it's such a bummer. It's like, come on. So we have some amazing lenders we've been look, working with that are able, like relationship banks that have been able to get some still really low rates for our clients. So that's really, you know, we love to introduce people and try to still make it work. But yeah, the 5%, you know, four and a half to 5%, it'll make it your budget from 2 million to one eight or, you know, change from two seven five to two five or less. So it is going to, I think, have, have some sort of effect, but what people, some people are saying, it's just instead of 30 offers, there'll be 18 offers. Right. Well, then, then that'll be okay. And they will be higher quality because they'll be the people who can stomach the debt. So I try to tell people when they ask me, oh, where are interest rates going to go? I say, number one, I have no idea. Every time I've tried to predict it, I've been wrong. Number two, I can remember when it was up to 7%. And my dad was a person who was a big deal in the savings and loan industry back in the early 80s when a mortgage was 12%. Or 18% everybody tells me about. I'm That's like, right. Oh, so I still believe, like I tell the story, even at our personal house in Brentwood that we bought four years ago, we had to do like an income statement loan and our rate was 5.3. And everybody's like, oh my God, I don't care. We got in and now we're down to 2.55. But, you know, we, cause we kept redoing it, but I'm just saying like, just get in if you want to buy, cause I call it living in your bank account. That's my little trademark. I'm like, don't, what do you, people are like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I help people build wealth and I help them to live in their bank accounts because it's just, you know, our home is now worth one, five or two million more than it was four years ago. So it's like, it wasn't that great article. I don't know if you saw it that said that your home made more money than you did last year for you. Right. Did you see that was like this great article? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it's so true. So I, that's why I personally love what I do because. I mean, it really is that helping clients build wealth while they get to live there. So. Yeah, it's if you're able to build wealth on something that's really consumption, meaning you live there and it's something you have to do and you have to spend the money to do it anyway, you have to do it. then why yeah. not do it? It makes a lot of sense to me. Well, like I'm just telling people just full steam ahead, get in, just get in. And if you got to do some work to the house, who cares? That stuff is easy. Just get a location you like, just 
get in the market. Yeah. So you have such an interesting background as well. You came from North Carolina. How did you find your way to Los Angeles and, and how did you get started building your business? Okay. So I moved to LA 15 and a half years ago from Charlotte, North Carolina. I was in fashion there and I worked at a store called Capital. Still amazing store. Still one of my favorite places to shop. There's one in LA. And I moved out here, started my own company that was a luxury lifestyle management company. So I just kind of made up a job for myself where I got to style and plan events. I planned a, a massive wedding and and then that's what I was doing. And it was, it was great. And then I decided to start a clothing line and that's when things kind of like <laughs> took a turn. I always tell people I was like running a Ponzi scheme on myself. I was like taking the money from my successful business and then, you know, using it to start my clothing line. Cause it takes a lot of capital to start a clothing line. If anybody knows that. And then 2008, nine hit, I actually had to file for bankruptcy. Then about eight months later, I ended up getting sober. Thank God. Best thing that's ever happened to me and stayed sober ever since. I'm, you know, 12 and a half years right now. So I'm so grateful every day for that. And yeah, but I had to hit really rock bottom there. And especially financially, no more grandiosity. I live in pure humility now and I'm grateful every day for it. So I kind of started from scratch. I restarted my clothing line again after I got sober. I was on Shark Tank. So anytime everybody asks me like, oh, are you worried about a listing appointment? I'm like, no, I mean, I've been in front of sharks, you know, right. <laughs> in front of like national television in front of sharks. And also, you know, I told my story there. I was crying. It was very emotional. <laughs> Shark Tank, it's aired hundreds of times because Scrub Daddy was on that. And so that's been the most successful thing to ever come from Shark Tank. So they air me all the time. I'm always like, Yep, that's me. I'm doing real estate. Thanks anyway. So instead of slinging slips, I'm slinging houses. And um, basically, I got married. I had my first son. And then I stopped doing the clothing line. My husband was like, you're done, <laughs> which was very smart. I appreciate that. Clark is the best. And then I was in my second trimester with my second son. I got my license, my real estate license. I, I thought, oh, my gosh, what could I do that's similar that I used to love to do? And so I came up with real estate because I do feel it's very similar to styling. And so I used to see my clients naked and their closets, very vulnerable. Now, real estate so similar. You're seeing their finances, you're seeing their homes. It's very emotional. And I call myself a real estate therapist. I'm like, you know, that's really the job. And so, it, you know, it's kind of similar. And that's when I, I started and I've just been gangbusters ever since. And I really treated Shelton Wilder Group and, and my real estate business as a company that I am the CEO of versus just being an agent. And, you know, some agents, they get a check, then they go take a vacation. I am like the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I am complete workaholic. I mean, I definitely transferred that <laughs> into what I do, but I actually love it so much. It doesn't really feel like work, but I do work probably 70, 80 hours a week, which I love. And I love everybody on my team. I have an amazing, amazing team. I have a COO. He's sitting right over there. I have the best assistants and I have five people on my team and seven staff and it's just like a family. So, so to circle back to the bankruptcy and the sobriety, what did you take from that? that helped aside from the process of going to the depths, what steps in there got you the vision and the clarity to propel you forward? 
because I think there are a lot of people who sort of hear those two words and, and there's stigma attached to them, oh, yeah, but, it, but it can be the key that unlocks a lot of different things. What was it for you that, that those two processes unlocked? I would say that humility is what, what came out of it because I was very young. I'm 43 now. I was very young. I was making a lot of money. I was running in the big crowd. I had a driver. I had all these assistants. I had, I had all these things. And I just, my grandiosity really kind of got out of control. And then the spending and, and all, I think the alcohol and the, the money was so related and it just kind of really got out of control. I mean, I wasn't correctly running my business. It was a joke. I was just... <laughs> all over the place. So I really had to get a handle on that and to kind of pull back. And then to this time, you know, I'd run many businesses now that I was able to be in humility and gratitude. I mean, just, and also being who I am now, I mean, there's no drinking, there's going to bed every time I'm going to bed each night, it have to be an integrity and I have to have the highest in ethics. I mean, so I think that's a really important characteristics to have in a realtor. And so, you know, I, I can't tell a lie. I'm like my fiduciary duty to my clients means everything to me. My husband's a lawyer, my dad, my brother, like I'm really take that part seriously. And yeah, I think that that's what, what I got out of it is through, you know, sobriety and learning all those tools and really growing up honestly. So it's, I think it's good. I think it's good to get knocked down as you're like, Oh, the Phoenix will rise again, but rise in a very different way with all your ducks in order. And then, you know, I, it's been a fast process. I mean, like numbers wise, the, my growth, but slow enough for it to be like checking in on every, every part, just not getting ahead of myself. Like I did, like I did before. Well, and I, and this next phase of success, it sounds like the gratitude is so present and forward in all of this that maybe it wasn't there before, or maybe you'd take, you'd taken things for granted. It was not, it was not this girl. No, <laughs> I mean, I was still myself, but just some of those things were just lacking. And I think it comes also with age, but I, you know, if you're abusing alcohol and <laughs> they're just, I wasn't myself, I wasn't myself. And so now it's just like, I'm the best version of myself. And I love everyone that's around me. I truly love my clients so much. I mean, they become like family to me and, 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 you know, my team, I appreciate them so much and anything I can ever do. I want everybody to always be happy. And yeah, there's no diva this. I do not a diva like that is <laughs> throw her out the window. She is dead. We got rid of her. Yes. Well, no. no more divas, but you are diving into media and the concept of marketing around what you're doing in, I would say it's restaurants in New York and real estate in Los Angeles as the two most competitive environments in the world to try to do anything. And so, first of all, you said something which I didn't know before. Tell us just a little bit about your Shark Tank experience, because I think there's a lot of mystery around that for listeners. What encompassed that? Okay. So I will... It was a crazy experience that happened so quickly also. So basically a friend introduced me to someone and I'd had my clothing line. I was working on it again and I changed the name and it was now it was, was shimmy. And I talked to the producers. They said, get a little reel together, you know, like a, it's not, I guess not a sizzle like your, it's, it's actually on YouTube. It was really funny. It was like five minutes, my audition tape. <laughs> okay. So we filmed it. We only had five days to do it. 
And then within a week, they cast me on there. And they were like, yeah, we're taping in three weeks. And I was like, oh, oh my God, wait, I don't, I didn't even have my samples. I mean, it was, this was crazy. I was definitely not really truly prepared, but I was like, well, we got to just jump on in. Let's just, let's just go for it. And so what happens is then you have your producers and he was talking me through it. And then we, you know, he knew that I had to get my like three minutes in the beginning nailed down and they helped me through that. But then that's the only thing that you know, that you memorize. And then they go for it. They ask you the question. So you go audition the one time. They make sure that you're good. And then they, they said yes. And then you have to be like locked in this room. And then they take you in. And then they, you walk out. And you've never met the sharks. And they're just, they're just standing out there. And the thing that was crazy is I was out there for about an hour and 15 minutes. And they edited it down to about 12. And then there was a commercial too, because I was crying. So it was very dramatic. There was like, dun, dun, dun. So I laugh now because I think it was such an amazing experience. And I can be like, oh my God, I did that. But yeah, so it aired. And oh, there's a therapist after too. Because it was so dramatic. There was a therapist I had to go talk to after. They were like, do you think that we could air this? I was like, oh, forget it, whatever. You know, and so... Yeah, that's how it happened. And then and then you have to be quiet. You signed an NDA for $5 million. And so I could, I could tell my husband or my boyfriend at the time, but Clark, but he became my husband because he was an attorney. I was like, he's my attorney. <laughs> so the worst though, I'm sorry. I have to just tell this story. Please the do. Worst, the worst is that, so I have this Southern family and my whole family was drinks and, you know, my mom and her like, you know, house. And I was like, yeah, six, seven months later when I was airing, she's like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to have a Shark Tank party for you to come out. And I was like, oh, you're going <laughs> to, I was like, oh, great. And then, you know, like everything being sober and not drinking is kind of like a, you know, not in, not in the South. Now it's like the most popular thing to be sober. I'm like, you know, it's totally fine now. But anyway, so she does it and then it says it and it says I was bankrupt and then it said I was sober. And she's like, okay, everybody, show's over. We're time to go. Every you know, it was like, <laughs> she was not, not what she was expecting because I couldn't say, like, mom might not want to have a party. Like, I don't get a deal. I da, 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 da. And I take things so seriously. Like, I took that, that agreement seriously. I didn't tell one soul. One soul. What happened? So no, that's well, fascinating. Um, <laughs> and what and what a good experience. I mean, and yeah, just like, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, no, and 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 you've done it. You're not left wondering what if and and is is fame going to be the accelerator of your business? And it may have been a, a huge blessing in disguise that it didn't go forward past that. Oh, I do not want to sell slips. No, no, it's fine. And my line is very similar to to Kim Kardashian's Skims. And like, she's very famous. Go ahead. Yep, have like, at it. I, I was not famous. You know, it was just little old me. So anyway, this is a much better business for me. And, you know, I still wear my shimmy every day, but it's, you know, it's not changing lives. I really feel like it's such a privilege and honor to do what I do and help clients to sell their homes for the most money and help them through the process and find them a home. And it's a big deal. So. so as you're gearing up for the realtor part of the business and the media component and the PR and the marketing that leads to the sales, maybe take us through what you're thinking about strategy wise on that as to you know how to get your name out there, how to get the reputation for 
competence and doing a great job and the fiduciary mindset and that type of thing. But then also there are all these tools out there, digital and otherwise. How do you prioritize what's useful and what's not useful in the LA market for this type of thing? Okay. So I will just share how I kind of, I think, built a name so quickly. So this is my sixth year, sixth full year in real estate. Last year, we sold around $100 million, the fifth full year. I had I built this team, built everything. And I really think a lot of it has been built because of Instagram and social media. And I have been doing these Wilder Wednesdays. This is year six for me of these like weekly videos, putting myself out there and talking either about the market or cool local places. Just, I think the, a big part too is, and that's why I think Million Dollar Listing is so successful and Selling Sunset and all these things because people want to see who you are and the personality. And so this is exactly what I look like. There's not like a photo of me from 20 years ago. Like you can see a video, you can see my face, you can see exactly what I look like, what I sound like, what my voice is like, and how I'm going to act in my mannerisms. And that's, I think, really helped. So you get the videos out. And that's kind of how I started growing my Instagram and people around the country. A lot of agents follow me. And then also, I think that with my sphere of influence, people see and that's kind of how they're like, oh, you should meet Shelton. Here, I'll send you her Instagram. People don't send my website. They send my Instagram. (laughs) In my world, I mean, I've gotten head more headlong into Twitter and LinkedIn and my own podcast, and that's as much my calling card as any website that there is out there now. And that is a completely alien concept to banking and wealth management, et cetera. They don't want to touch it. And it leads to business. That's how people communicate these days. Yeah, it's how they communicate. And I really feel like I did a podcast with the broke agent and they are just so funny too. And it was all about the social proof. It's really proof. And so it's not really, you know, I'm not trying to brag or anything. It's just more like showing, yep, these are the listings that I have. These are the things that I've sold. This is what's happening. And we do incredible listing videos where I'm, I mean, I'm very like Vanna White of the, you know, I love like hosting my listings and they've sold from videos. I mean, people see that they'll share them. They're, they're out. I'm able to boost them. So they're, out there and also TikTok, the reels. That's kind of where things are going now where you're able to put listings and properties on reels and they're just going viral and they're getting out there. And then, I mean, yeah, that's just kind of how things have gone. And so and I'm so comfortable on camera now and people are like, oh, how are you so comfortable? I'm like, first of all, I got, I was crying on national television. So I had that. I did some stand up. I did some improv like because sometimes in life you're like why am I doing this right now I mean I don't think I'm going to be the next Chelsea Handler that was never my plan like I'm not like oh I can't wait to go do stand up around the country no but it's good just to have some practice to do it but also doing Wilder Wednesdays for every single Wednesday for over you know over five years that's a lot of practice you're just get better you're gonna get better you have to Oh my gosh, I did like a course during COVID for agents and it was all about that, just putting yourself out there, just try it. Like, what do you have to lose? 
So what do you think of the traditional ways that the listings got out, the the expensive glossy magazines, New York Times, is that over? Do you still have to do it? How do you think about the old ways of doing things? Is that still necessary blocking and tackling? Or are you do you think now that the new broker really should fast forward past that or could fast forward past that? I mean, I a lot of our listings, they just sell so quickly. We're really good at pricing and there's no time for it to hit some magazine. Right. Interesting. And then also we we do a lot of off market. I think what is it for us? Like 35, 40% of our deals this year have been off market so far. And it's all relationships. It's like have the right relationships with the other agents. And the agents, I don't know why people don't understand this. I'm just gonna give you a PSA. Agents are also your clients because that's who you get to work with. So I'm like, I send agent gifts. I'm like, oh my gosh, so great to be with you. And when we close and it's like a love fest and people will be like, oh gosh, that was such an easy escrow. Let's work with Shelton. I'm going to tell her about my off market or yes, she, she brings great clients or, oh, she has a listing. Oh, I love working with her. Well, and also if you have judgment around a tough situation, the word gets out if you handled something correctly. That to me probably is where you hit the flywheel and it just goes. And it's like, you know what? She did the right thing and we had a tough spot to get past. That to me, that's how reputations and relationships ultimately get get developed. Yeah. And I'm always thinking 5, 10, 20 years ahead of time. That's all I'm thinking. I mean, there was something that came out up with a client the other day and it was something I was going to help cover for them that was like 6,220 and I was like, it's fine. I'll take care. You know what I mean? It's like, I have a longer vision and I'm not like this greedy commission hungry type of agent. I know the big picture and that if you take care of your clients, you're nice to all sides. Everything's always going to work out because I just, that's just kind of how I, I run my personal life. Well, my personal life is my work life. It's all the same. Thank God. I love everybody we work with. And that's why it's important to work with clients that you like that are kind of on the same wavelength that aren't too difficult that, you know, we're pretty easy to be around, you know, try to, to make it work. And so, yeah. As we start to wind down here, as you've started to grow and it, you sound like someone who likes to have control over the way things operate and happen, how do you hire and get your staff together to delegate the things that you shouldn't be doing, but maintain the culture that you want and also do it sort of financially responsibly? How did you think about that? Well, I am just having to delegate more. And I really, I will say, I think my biggest strength is that I know my weaknesses and I hire for my weaknesses. I'm still easing into letting everyone control. I'm like, don't want forces like laughing over there because he's my, he's my COO and he's like, okay, well, we're getting there because <laughs> you're going to be, you know, and I'm like, I am, but I do trust and love everyone that I do work with. And so we're all very similar. It has to have that same culture. It's a, it's about a culture and then that way I can let go of control. But yes, the more I grow, it is. I, I'm not an octopus. Right. Well, you, you said something too that I'd heard actually just fairly recently. And I go, gosh, I wish I'd heard this 20 years ago, which is quit trying to shore up your weaknesses. Give that to somebody else and worry about developing your strengths and getting those into hyperspace because that's where you're going to be successful. And I was like, oh, God, 20 years too late. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, that is, no, no. I will not do anything that I really don't don't want to do or I'm not good at. You know, I have 
the most incredible transaction coordinator that is like the paperwork ninja. Like I can't, you know, I review it and all of that, but I can't, I'm not putting DocuSign boxes. No, no, that is not me. Will not do it. Cannot do that. And so, because my time has spent so much like being face to face, being with somebody and, and looking at their home. And I mean, we do a lot of property prep. We get these homes ready to sell. I have like a design background, so I'm there. And that expertise goes so much farther or negotiating with somebody or connecting with somebody, not putting a DocuSign box. No, that that's thousand dollar an hour work that you're doing, not something that's less than that, which is not something you should be doing. <laughs> it's, a, it's totally makes sense. Okay. Let's wind up. This was so much fun. I'm glad we could do you this. You are so fun. Uh, you are really good at this. You are excellent. You have like stayed on track. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so fun. Well, I, as you said, you know, I've now done enough of these. You get practice. So hopefully, hopefully I pass the audition. <laughs> oh, you, you got an A plus. <laughs> so, Shelton, tell us, how do we keep track of you? And let us know not only sort of websites and things like that, but what should we be looking for in the next few months or so on that you've got on the plate? Okay. Well, so you can find me at sheltonwilder.com or Instagram as sheltonwilder states. And yeah, pretty much as my name is everywhere. So that's pretty easy. And then I have hired a PR and slash producer. And so we are kind of working on a show. So fingers crossed, that would be so fun. Something very different than what's out there. Now we're not trying to recreate what has already been so successfully created. And yeah, my big goals are, you know, I've want to do this till I'm like Betty White. I love her till I'm like a hundred and I'm 43. So I'm going to be sticking around the real estate game for a very long time and want to have a national and international team. And yeah, I hope you'll see a lot of me out there. Oh, that's, <laughs> it's terrific. And we will, we will follow your progress and keep the phone line open because when things happen in LA, I want to hear updates on the market. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it might be a fun future segment too. I will have your contact information on the show notes and thank you very much for being on. Yes, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually.